0: Hello and welcome back to At The Apex, a show about car enthusiasts living on the Canadian prairies. Once again, I'm joined by Ryan O'Connor and I'm your host, Matt. And today we're going to be discussing Toyota um, and and the new Supra, the rumors about the return of the MR2 and the uh, GT86. So Ryan, why don't we get right into the rumors about the MR2 coming back. That's pretty exciting considering you've owned a couple of MR2s, I think, before, right?
1: Well, actually, I do own an SW20 right now, the second-generation turbo. So when I heard about this, I was pretty psyched. And uh, back in the day when I used to be a professional driver, which is a realization I came to when I was delivering pizza back in my old 89 <laughs> AW11 MR2, um, I have a soft spot for them in my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Uh, I had an 86 Corolla with the 4AG, and that's what pulled me into the old 80s MR2. That was kind of like the doorstop. Um, And then in Canada, we never got the MRS. So that's kind of like the the forbidden fruit. So to hear that there might be an MR2, no, I'm not going to say it's like when they brought the Type R's over, but it's kind of like the MR2 died way too early, Mm -hmm. and the thought of a new MR2 is really cool. It's a really cool idea.
0: Well, yeah, like, I think everybody loves the idea of having one of those mid-engined um, sports cars, but pretty much everything you can buy that's like that right now is, you know, one of those supercars like a R8 or a Huracan or something like that, right? But it's to get something that you could get something kind of affordable, um, but fun, you know, like that getting that fun factor like the MR2 had or like the Miata has and things like that, right?
1: Well, I was gonna say, like, if you want to go affordable, what people consider as the affordable mid-engine car is probably a Cayman, and that's I don't like out of my price range. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not forever, but I'm saying there's not that truly affordable mid-engine sports car. I mean, it's it would be cheaper to go to the states, pick up an MRS, bring it to Canada, import safety duty whatever than buying a Cayman here. Yeah. And so, I mean, something local and affordable isn't really a real option, but I don't even know. like, uh, The price range that something like this would be placed in would probably have to be around the BRZ86 price range to be competitive, I'd assume.
0: Yeah, oh, I totally agree. Um, so the Cayman in Canada starts at about $63,000 base, uh, and, you know, Porsche's... Notorious for having an extremely long options sheet, um, so you can get well into you know the high five figures, into the six figures, even maybe for a Cayman. But yeah, like to get an MR2, it would probably start in the the 30s, maybe in the mid 30s. Um, you know, so to be able to get something like like a mid-engine sports
1: car for you know 35,000, I think you're you're just laughing at that point. Well, and I'm looking at the 8.6s right now on the Toyota website, and they're starting at about $30,000, and we'll get into this a little bit later, they do actually have different models of it now, so it's it's starting at 30000 and up, um, so if you could find something that was more performance-based than the 8.6, I mm-hmm. think people would eat that up, because they're complaining that, you know, Toyota and Subaru only added that 5 extra horsepower to the 6-speed manual models in 2017. I don't know, I'm not saying it would... Probably be a crazy horsepower monster, but the fact that it would be a two seater mid engine car might give the consumer a little bit more of what they wanted. What I was disappointed with, with all the rumors that I've read about and saw, is um, they were looking at putting a 1.8 liter in it instead of the 2 liter. And then other rumors I heard is that the new 8.6, not this year, maybe next year, is going to get a 2.4 liter. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure it was a 2.4, but they were going to pump up the engine size, still mm-hmm. keep it naturally aspirated. And just thinking back to the 80s when it was the Corolla and the MR2, it was the same 4AG across the board. Now, I'm not sure if how you'd fit a boxer engine in to a mid-engine platform. Subarus have always had their engine in the front. And I get with the FR layout of the BRZ and the FRS, it wasn't a crazy change for them. They basically just took away that four-wheel drive option or all-wheel drive option but with a mid-engine car that's throwing a whole other monkey wrench into things i just i'm curious how subaru and toyota would work together to engineer that problem out and especially with a smaller engine
0: well like yeah i'm sure it'd be doable you know transmissions nowadays are pretty small and you can do lots of crazy different things with them so um yeah i think that the boxer engine in the middle of the car would actually be amazing because, you know, it's got such a low center of gravity, you know, you could have you could have just amazing balance in that car, you know, with the the just general nature of the mid-engine platform, but then having that that weight, the center of gravity so low because of that boxer layout, you know, I think that that would be just
1: incredible Well, and I agree with you like there's, there's tons of benefits to it especially in the FR layout but I think that the 86 6 and the BRZ and the FRS totally took advantage of. Um, it's just pulling it off and making it marketable. Mm-hmm. Kind of in... Well, and it, when I first heard about this MR2 rumor, I right away thought about the SFR concept. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. And it, it was kind of a weird looking, almost like a Mini Cooper sort of front end with the circular headlights. and they, It was the uh, Hazard... Not Hazard... What color am I looking for? Like the fluorescent yellow color? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I remember that. And it was based off the old Toyota Sports 800. And actually, honestly, before I bought my 8.6, I thought if this car came out, it would be cheaper, and I believe it was supposed to be a two-seater, and it would just be a fun little cheap, efficient car to drive. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I think that that's the market. If I hadn't bought my 8.6, I'd probably look into the market of an MR2 because... Of that more performance-based thing, and I mean mm-hmm. now that family's a factor, that backseat in air quotes is a great option for me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a whole market out there of people who aren't worrying about shoving human beings into a backseat that's not really meant for human beings.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. And you know, that that concept of having back seats is kind of ridiculous. You know, think about like a Porsche 911; it has back seats, but they're so small you could never fit any reasonable human being in there except for maybe children but even then it'd be just such a pain to have to get them in and out you'd never do it um you're
1: gonna have to excuse my ignorance for a second i honestly didn't believe that a 911 had back seats
0: yeah no they they totally do and it's it's always been a thing about 911s um they have back seats i i don't really get it um the the higher end like gt um models like the gt3 gt2 rs those types of ones they they take the back seats out um, for weight savings, but you know, in like a Carrera or something like that, you're gonna have back seats, but they're like microscopic. Um, you know, well, you, you think the the, the GC eighty six has small back seats, and I, I think the nine eleven takes it to a different level.
1: Well, I was actually gonna say my old FDRX seven; those were even worse back seats. When I saw the eighty six yeah. back seats, I thought, <laughs> this is great. That's yeah. like a solid foot and a half of butt space in there for somebody, whereas those those FDR r x sevens were. That was just an insurance thing. It had to have been. I cannot even understand yeah. why.
0: I think I tried to um, squeeze myself back
1: there one time. <laughs> you know what? I think you did, and you're a, I'm pretty, a pretty tall, tall dude. guy. And
0: and that you know, it, I I just um, equate that to Doug Demuro trying to cram himself into the back seat of some of those cars that he tries to get into.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I know you sent me that video of him getting into the back of the 8.6 and all the complaints with that, but just uh, to reassure you and any of our listeners, I did do the the test of me in the back seat of the 8.6 and had my wife drive around Regina before we bought it, just in the anticipation that our kids grew up to be at least my height. It was doable. It wasn't comfortable, but it was doable, and I used to commute in a, a Civic Si two-door And it was a 45-minute drive. And I will tell you that there's more butt space in there, but definitely less head space in those Civics just because of the slant of those back windows. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was one thing I was looking for too. But anyways, I feel like we're getting totally off topic here. In the idea of power to... or performance foundation for the MR2 and maybe pulling into that market, Toyota doesn't really need to worry about that because there's the Supra. Mm -hmm. There's the Supra coming out that I think is going to... Take all of those people, all those little whiners who said, oh, the 8.6 doesn't have enough horsepower. Well, here's Toyota giving you what you want, but here's the price tag that goes along with it.
0: Yeah, so what I've seen posted is that the Supra is going to start at about, I think it's about 60,000 um, Canadian. It, that might be like the base model, but uh, you know, the, the outgoing Supra back in, what was it, 99 or 98, whenever it. Um, stop being produced it, it was into the 70,000 back then um, you know which was a ton of money that's probably closer to like 90 or so nowadays um, you know so to have the super come in at maybe 60 to <clears throat> 70 thousand like that's I think that that's right in the sweet spot for it it's it's less than some of its main competitors like um, in a, you know, maybe BMW or uh, like the Z4 will definitely be more expensive than the Supra. um,
1: Well, and I think it goes wrong, but yeah, that's what I was going to say.
0: But, you know, I I think I've seen somewhere that the, uh, the new Supra is going to have, I think 340 horsepower, which really isn't a ton. Um, you know, like most of the, the Mark four Supras that you see, you know, it came with, I think, air quotes, 276 horsepower, but, you know, you could put a, a exhaust on it and an intake on it, and you're getting close to 400. Um, you know, and those things are legendary for pushing 1,000 horsepower without any rebuilt internals or anything. So, um, yeah, like, I think that the 340 horsepower is going to be fun, but... I don't know if it'll be enough. I think it might have the same complaints as the GT86.
1: You think so? You think people are going to say it's not enough power for the price you're
0: paying? Well, I'm thinking it's going to be not enough power for the legendary status of the Supra.
1: Well, here's the thing. I don't know if anything can live up to the hype that the Fast and the Furious has given it. And I don't want to always pull into the Fast and the Furious, but it's that's if you know the car, it's probably because of that movie.
0: Yeah, but you think of things like nowadays, like the the 2019 M5, BMW M5, um, it's got something like, it's got 600 horsepower. You know, like that's the kind of level that people expect from those types of performance cars nowadays. They expect 500, 600, 700 horsepower. Like a Dodge Demon, I think, has 780 horsepower or something ridiculous. You know, it's, so it's to to give the Supra 300 40, 350 horsepower I think is going to make a lot of people mad, to be honest.
1: You know, and I think the comment sections of YouTube and everything are going to fill up when that car comes out and go, hey, I have this old, and you said Mark IV, and I'm kind of against calling them Mark IVs, but that's a whole other discussion. The fourth generation Supra, like you said, does have that crazy potential, and if a car coming out of the factory can't meet a decades old car's potential, That's what people are really wanting. They're wanting to buy that legacy. Mm -hmm. They want to buy a Supra because of its legacy. I mean, they're not buying it because of the Celica Supra. They're buying it because of the fourth-generation twin-turbo 2JZ Supra. And they want to be able to keep up with that or surpass it, really, if you're Mm -hmm. buying something brand new. So I I agree with you there that people might complain about it, but we're also in an age where a 200-horsepower at the crank... 8.6, BRZ, FRS, whatever you want to call it, is kind of setting the standard of slow, and I think that Toyota will... It'll it'll help Toyota's image, increasing it that extra 100-some horsepower, but at the same time, I always worry, like, the Supra has never been a light car. I don't know off the top of my head what the prediction is on how much the Supra is going to weigh, but I can't imagine it's going to be anywhere near as light as what a new MR2 or an old MR2, for that matter, would weigh, or even the 8.6. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this new Super is going to be a beast. Kind of something more like the old uh, 300ZX Fairleys. They were big V6 twin turbos, but they were heavy, and they just kind of sloshed around. I hope that they make this Super a little bit more agile, but I think it's going to be a bigger car. It's going to be a high-horsepower touring car, not a a little sporty two-seater. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I totally mean... I
0: know, I know what you mean, like, um, the, Z, the Z4, Z3 um, on BMW side has kind of been known as that, um, you know, grand tour, you know, at, at the relatively budget-priced grand tour coupe. And to have the super based on the same platform, it should have that same sort of feel, I guess. You know, I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, it, like, obviously, totally different price bracket here, but, you know, I'm thinking of, like, uh, a Ferrari F12. Like, it's uh, it's just this powerful luxury cruiser, you know? The performance is there if you want it. And I kind of equate that sort of style of a car to what the Supra is, at least in my head. Um, you know, we see all the, saw those concepts come out um, back in maybe five years ago. Um, yeah, like with the crazy wing um, side mirrors and just like the crazy Forever. front end and all the like sculpted body and everything like that, and it was just stunning. Like the the images of it, and I remember watching a um, an episode of Jay Leno's Garage where he had that and he looked at it and it was incredible. Um, you know, with the the leaked images that have come out lately. I don't know, like, I guess it's because we've been teased with this new super for so long, it's like, for me, the hype is almost gone.
1: You know what, and I felt mm-hmm. the same way for a long time, yeah. but then once I finally saw there was that leaked front silver actual production model picture, it kind of looked like it was in a crate, and honestly, the simpler, toned-down look is what kind of won me over the big, flashy, whatever, it just kind of made it, it it made it seem so much more unobtainable. It made it seem so much more like it was just trying to live up to its Mm -hmm. image. But when you actually see something that's going to go into production, that's where I kind of said, okay, this is going to be okay. This is going to be something kind of cool. But, um, looking on the BMW side of things, I'm just kind of looking at the stats of the Z4, and its curb weight's between 3,000 to 3,400 pounds. Now, I'm assuming the Supra is hmm. going to be comparable to that. And there's also the option of a four-cylinder in this set four. Is this something? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is something that was included in the plans for the um, Supra or I not. Don't know.
0: My gut feeling is that the, uh, because of what people are expecting the Supra to be, I think that um, Toyota would be making a huge mistake if they decided to put a four-cylinder in, in it. Even if it still made 300 plus horsepower, I, um, you know, if they put some, you know, crazy turbo four cylinder or something in there, I, I think that if you put anything other than an inline six in
1: that Supra, people will turn their noses up at it. Oh, people are already turning their noses up to the BMW badge, even though it's an inline six, three liter. Come on, people. This is exactly what you've been asking for. But I get it. It's. People are swapping in 2JZs into 8.6s because it's a Toyota engine. People are swapping in 3SGTEs mm-hmm. because it's a Toyota engine. There's a lot of purists out there that are wanting things just to be a certain way. And I think you're right. If, I mean, if it does come with an inline-four option, cool. I mean, I'm sure that would drop some weight. It would drop the cost probably significantly. And I bet you within five years that inline-four would probably find its way into a bunch of 8.6s, but... Um, I don't know. I think having an option would be good because there's people who want to get into a base of a car. Like, there's a reason why there's an entry level car in a lot of companies. And I think there's a reason why there's automatic non turbo Supras in the world is because somebody wanted that car and they might not have cared about the power or the transmission.
0: That was also before the stat, the, you know, the, the Super really reached that legendary status. Well, and
1: that's true. I mean, but here's the thing, though, too.
0: That was when it was, like, a just a, a nice mid-range, mid-priced cruiser,
1: you know, performance. Like a touring car. You could load up your family, load up some stuff, and go for a weekend somewhere. Well,
0: yeah, it's like, people are used to buying Camrys from Toyota, and, oh, there was this nice sports car you could get from them for, like, a reasonable price. But, you know, like, that that's what people were doing back then. It was only, like... Years later, that people decided, "Oh my God, this thing is amazing!" And then Fast and the Furious came out and just, you know, put it up on the pedestal. So,
1: and yeah, and what a pedestal it has to climb up to. I mean, I'm not. There's not a lot of cars that have that same status that other. The companies are trying to live up to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two ways I want to go with this really quick. One with the automatic transmission. So this new Supra is not going to come in a manual transmission.
0: Yeah, I'm not really surprised about that. Um, You know, with everyone going dual-clutch, automatics,
1: that's really not a surprise to me. Well, and it wasn't to me either, but do you think there's going to be some grumbling from the peanut gallery when this comes out?
0: Well, I heard one time, and maybe this was just a rumor, but I thought I heard that one of the Toyota executives had mentioned that, um, that a manual is in the works, It's just not part of the release.
1: You know, and I'm sure there's going to be somebody who's going to make a kit or something for it. But I think when we're old and gray-er, we're going to look back at the manuals and go, why did anybody ever buy those? They're so slow. Kind of like how we look back at 90s Japanese classics and go, you got that in automatic?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because it's not the same automatics.
0: No. No, like, automatics nowadays, like, you think of, like, the Porsche PDK or, um, you know, something like that. You know, the the, the dual-clutch ones in the um, R8s and the Huracans and things like that. It's They are so lightning fast. You know, I even think of the manual or the automatic transmission in my minivan. It is incredibly fast-shifting compared to, you know, even a, you know, I, I used to have a an early 90s acura i mean um, honda accord and like just the shift speeds from the automatic in a modern car to a car from 25 years ago like it's not even close you know i remember he'd be like you, tr- you want to shift and then like two seconds later it would shift whereas now it's like you almost don't even
1: notice it shifted it's so fast and so smooth well, it's like those and, old Tiptronic's where you well, could yeah. manually shift it, and it would actually go. But now it's just an automatic transmission. Well, yeah.
0: And the thing is, like, if you're wanting a performance vehicle, you're almost stupid to put a an a manual in it because you know the the automatics are just so much faster.
1: Well, and that's actually a fact that we learned when I was going through race school. Um, they did a, a little. One of the demo videos was comparing two of the same make, model of cars with the same driver in the same corner, and the new automatics are faster. It's a fact. And yeah, like you said, you'd be dumb to put a manual transmission in a performance vehicle now because mm-hmm. you just you can't physically do what a computer and all these mechanisms can do for you. It's just not, not possible. Sure. Yeah which is sad it's a little bit of a depressing point for me it makes me feel old and archaic but it's way more fun and i bought a car that has a manual transmission so i'm just going to stick to my guns for a while here who knows i'll change my mind someday i'm sure
0: yeah um you know the thing is is that the uh, there's nothing that a manual can take away from you know, i mean like you can never take away the driver involvement with a manual like that's the thing that that's what people like about it Yes, it's slower. Yes, you know, maybe the automatic is better. But you feel more connected to that car when you're driving a manual.
1: Well, no, I agree with you there. Um, 100% I enjoy it. But then the little side of me that says, but I want to be fast, says maybe you should have bought an automatic. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you should have bought a car that offers one of those really good automatics. Like the Evo 10s had a really good automatic. The top model of the Evo has the uh, dual-clutch automatic transmission. So, based on that comment of okay, I bought my 8.6 as a manual, and it does have an automatic option, but all the reviews I read said, get the manual, it's better. And I'm a big old-school manual guy. I like it. I personally enjoy driving it, even on a daily basis, gridlock, traffic, whatever. It's just more fun for me. Personal choice. Um, but you can actually go and you can buy the automatic model, uh, and it's more. So if you want to buy a manual 8.6, a six-speed manual, it's about 30,000 Canadian. If you want to buy the automatic, it's about thirty one two ish And then one of the things that I wanted to talk about tonight is they actually have different trims now of the 8.6. So you can get a GT model, but now mm. the big one that everyone's talking about is this TRD edition. So... I don't know how much background you have into this, Matt, or how much you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't really heard much about the
1: TRD-86. Um, well, so my 86 is, before they had all these different trims, it's a essentially a base model. It does not have the push-button start. It does not have the heated seats. I don't have the dual climate control or any of that cool stuff. It's pretty bare-bones in terms of a car, which is kind of what I liked about it. The center console is a little older style. Um, It lights up orange instead of the red or white like the rest of it. It's very Toyota in that sense. I kind of like it, but at the same time, I'd love to change out those LEDs if I ever get a chance. But this new TRD package, which jumps up to over $38,000 Canadian, is a lot for what you get. As soon as people saw it was coming out, I got a lot of messages saying, oh, you should trade yours in, you should go check this out. And, you know, it's a cool car. It's got um, a bunch of body paneling, like, uh, from your and our day, ground effects kits. So it's basically got a front lip, side skirts, and a different rear bumper with a spoiler. Um, and a cool, well, I shouldn't say cool, a decal that runs along each side in the TRD colors, yeah. and then a custom embroidered dash panel. But aside from that, you're not getting a lot of the benefits that the BRZ is getting with, with its higher trim packages. You're not getting the Brembo brakes. Um, you're not getting... Like the the uh, BRZ TS, which was tuned by STI, comes with a GT wing and Brembo brakes. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying a big wing like that would be my first choice. <clears throat> but... <laughs> but it's actually performance focused whereas i feel this trd kit trd option that you're paying thousands of extra dollars for is kind of just showy and i think that kind of defines the differences between the eight six and the b or yeah the eight six and the brz like the eight six has always kind of seemed to be more of the tuner's choice if you will Mm -hmm. and the brz has been the dedicated i'm going to the track and people use them a little more. It's sort of those those uh, Master Race BRZ jokes that you see, but it's kind of got some background behind it because you look at this and you have fog lights. and um, Just looking at it, okay, I'm going to have to eat my words a little bit here. It does come with the Brembo brakes, which I'm a little jealous of now, and I, I think I'm going to have to try and find some of those used or new from the dealer. But aside from that, it's really not a whole lot. Um, I feel like the price tag on that TRD package is not worth really what you get. You can go and buy an aftermarket big brake kit for these things for way cheaper than what you're going to pay for some body kit stuff and a decal and some brake upgrades. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm just looking at a Top Gear
0: review of it and it says it comes with a an exhaust and red seat belts. <laughs> So yeah, like $8,000 $8, is kind of a lot of money to pay for um, some different rims, um, some Michelin Pilot Sport, Pilot Sport 4 tires, which, you know, you know the, the price difference between what you would get on yours versus this, you know, I'm not sure if it's a huge amount, probably not too, too much, and then like a different exhaust and stuff, you know, it, it, that is kind of a lot of money. You're mostly paying for that TRD brand. Um, But I have to admit, it almost seems like the the TRD line right now is kind of being diluted a bit because, you know, Toyota announced that they're coming out with the new TRD editions of the Camry and the Avalon. TRD and Avalon
1: are words that should never have been uttered in the same sentence. Well, this is almost seeming like when Nismo went over and it's the Nismo Juke and the Nismo Sentra and the Nismo... Like, they just threw it on everything, and added some red lines to it to gloss it all up, and you didn't yeah. get that same... Like, the Nismo 370Z looks cool. I don't know too much about it, but you could see a very noticeable difference, and it's a performance car.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that the, the styling changes on the TRD Camry don't look cool. Like, I think it actually looks really good. But it's using that TRD branding to try to say that the camry and the avalon are more of a sportier car now it's i think that's a bit of a stretch and you know it is diluting the maybe the illusion of what the trd brand should be when it comes to things like the 86 or maybe i'm assuming that then in the future they'll come up with a trd version of the supra and stuff like that so like, I think that the the upgrades you're getting with the TRD86 are not bad, but maybe a little overpriced. Like you said, you could probably go do it yourself for a little bit cheaper, but most people wouldn't want to do that.
1: Well, and you know, when I bought my car, one of the first things I did was switch out the rims. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend that initial cost to get different rims that I'm probably going to want to look to replace anyways. Oh, for sure. So, um, another point on that, I, personally, this new generation of Camry, even before the TRD package, I've always liked, well, I shouldn't say before the TRD package, I've always liked the new Camry with the TRD package, I feel like it's just wrecking it. Not that this is something we wanted to talk about, but I really liked the new Camrys a lot. It's almost like TRD is just trying to throw it in your face and go, wow, look at this. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, it's, it's trying to play to that,
0: um that idea that everybody wants a performance car nowadays but they don't necessarily want to pay for one I guess it's you know what I'm trying to get at it's well, it's that, it's that, idea that prestige that people of the name want that yeah
1: well and looking at this TRD Camry it's kind of got some cool stuff on it and but I don't know are you really going to go take a Camry and rip her out? I mean sure some people will rip her out a racetrack with it but if you're doing that, are you really going to buy the most expensive camera you can buy, or are you going to buy something a little bit cheaper and then put that work and time into it? Yeah.
0: You know, I, but I also maybe think that um, Toyota, maybe they were just saying, well, we've been taking the Camry to, uh, what's it called, the NASCAR Sprint, Sprint Cup, Sprint Series. I forget what it's called. Maybe it's not even by Sprint anymore. But like that, um, you know, top-level NASCAR Series. Toya's been running the Camry there for years now, and maybe they were just like, "Well, we finally should do something to try to make it look sportier," you know, for racing on the street. It. Yeah.
1: Well, and see, I saw that, and I saw the new. I don't know if it's the new Supra mock-up for NASCAR or yeah. whatever. I was reading an article about it, but when I look at that, and you look at anything past the front bumper, really, it's not that car anymore. No,
0: no, because it has to conform so. to all the 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 shape and everything of a NASCAR. Whereas the Camry kind of fit that, anyways, but it was never really a car that people associated with racing, right? It's um, you know, the Supra people associate with racing, um, or like I think the Chevy used to run the Malibu, or just, you know, something like that, um. Which was kind of the same situation, but uh, but Ford, I think they run the... Oh, do they run a Mustang or something like that? No, it's not a Mustang. I know, it's... it's I forget what car they run in, in NASCAR. I think it might be the Mustang, but it's... It kind of fits. You know, where some of the other brands racing in that series, just, it doesn't really work. They're racing in, a just to race in it just-to-race-in-it kind of thing? Yeah, and because it kind of has to look like one of their street car models that you know, they
1: do up the the front decals to make it kind of look like it. Well, and that's why I've never really put too much weight on the Camry being in that. It's just, it's a car everyone's grandma has owned, or you know someone whose grandma who's owned it. It's kind of like a Civic or a Corolla. It's It just kind of fits that build. So, I get Toyota's trying to do something cool here, but, mm-hmm. like you said, I think the best way you put it is, it's diluting that TRD name. So, kind of yeah. disappointing, kind of cool, but, it, I mean, STI wouldn't put their name on a BRZ. It's just tuned by STI. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, okay, so I want to segue now into something that we talked about earlier. It's, a, you know, we've both kind of done some racing locally, um, and we, we were talking offline here around what kind of cars we would, take if we could buy uh, you know an affordable car to go drag racing drifting autocrossing and then one that you might take to all three different kinds of events um so i i mentioned my picks earlier um while we were talking about this topic but um you for drag racing you know uh, Things that come to mind that you'd take might be like things like a Dodge Demon, but that's not really an affordable car. So for me, I would probably have to go with the uh, like a Mustang GT, something with you know three, four hundred horsepower, and
1: you know, but it's still pretty reasonably priced. See, and I like that choice. That was going to be my second choice. We talked before about doing several cars, and you know what? I think we would have had a lot more overlap if we did that. Mm-hmm. So. I'm glad we went to one car, mat, but for my drag choice, I would have picked something like an old Firebird slash Trans Am or even like an old Camaro. Like You had even the slightly newer ones from the 90s, not because they would be the best, but because you have that interchangeable 350 and the support for a 350 that you could just throw parts on it and throw parts at it. And I think my idea of affordable which we'll see as we go through the list, is going to be a little bit different than your idea of affordable. Mm -hmm. I feel like a big cheapskate tonight, but uh, you could be the judge of that when we get through this list. So that was kind of my reasoning for it, is a Camaro or like a GM product, an older 80s, 90s GM product that has that support that's cheap. So maybe you're going to buy something you have to pull out of a ditch or a barn, but you're going to have enough money left over that you can just throw cash at that engine and make it something fast for the drag strip
0: yeah like i kind of see where you're going with this because yeah you could buy like a mid-90s camaro and you would those engines and transmissions were basically garbage like you know you have a 5.7 liter v8 and i making 250 horsepower um and and nowadays like you know an engine like that would maybe be pushing 200 um, but you'd have to pretty much buy like a crate engine or go in and and just rebuild it completely and put like a supercharger on it and stuff to to get it really drag ready I guess um, if you were to want to do any any kind of respectable times if you were just out there to have fun whatever like the car would be totally fine
1: you could take a Cavalier out there. Oh, I think that's sure. one thing we should mention is that this is a, affordable, but still be able to go out there and compete. I mean, you're not going to be running the fastest time of the day, but you're still going to go out there and feel like you did okay.
0: Well, yeah. Like I remember you took your FD RX7 out there, um, totally unmodified. It was, I think, it was totally bone stock, wasn't it?
1: It, it was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you. I think you did in the 11s.
1: No. Oh, God, no. I did 14 flat. Oh, was it? 14 flat at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, but it was still, like, insanely fast. Well, and, you know, it was a fun car, but you could definitely tell that was not a drag racing built car. Oh, God, God, if I'd hit 11, that would have been awesome.
0: (laughs) No, but what I'm saying is, like, even that car, it's not at all meant for that, but it still did amazing. Yeah. I I raced against you in my... 2011 Chevy Cruze and obviously not at all a drag car not at all meant for that at, but it was still fun and uh, yeah like I, th- I think I did I don't know in the 17s or something it was just awful But you um, actually
1: raced my old 79 RX-7 yeah and your, your 79 RX-7 just blew me away I'm going to have to post that video later for anybody listening Sunday video coming out (laughs) and but it was fun it was a lot of fun um
0: but yeah awful
1: (laughs) but that's the thing is if it's fun then that's the point so you know honestly if somebody goes out and they buy and i'm just using the cavalier as an example because you know it's something old it's cheap and if you go out and you have fun drag racing a cavalier then that's all that really matters i guess maybe Mm -hmm. we're just putting our own bias on this A little bit. And, you know, I'm looking at it in terms of it's something that would be a Camaro would be something that's affordable and I could work on it. Whereas I think you're looking for that out of the box performance of like the 302s, right? Is that what you were thinking?
0: Yeah. Like I was thinking, um, you know, like you can get a five liter Mustang um, that's pushing over 400 horsepower, uh, you know, with that. That'll do like pretty decent times at the drag strip out of the box. Um, even like the really new ones have launch control and stuff like that like I was thinking more of like a late 2000s GT where you could get it for you know in the maybe high high teens low 20s
1: um, just to go back I was talking about pulling out of a ditch or a barn <laughs> and you're looking at the ten thousand and plus dollar range so our idea <laughs> of affordable is it's a very drastic different definition. So well, but
0: you were talking about pulling a car out of the ditch, but then pouring a bunch of money into making it fast.
1: Well, not $10,000, but that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, um, so that was drag racing. What about drifting? How about you go first
1: on this one? For sure. Okay, so it's funny that you say the Mustang, because I was thinking a great affordable, air quote, affordable, drifting car that you could get into for cheap and be relatively reliable would be a Mustang. Now, I'm saying that with my bias of loving my solider ends from my RX-7s and my Corollas, um, like a Fox body Mustang or something a little bit newer. I mean, it really depends on your price range, but you have that instant torque mm-hmm. and something that is common enough that if you smash it up, you can find some parts for it. Um, and again, something that could be old enough, you could drag it out of a ditch or a barn and still do stuff to it, but it's got that rear-wheel drive, instant torque, um, affordable, relatively reliable, good aftermarket support.
0: Yeah, you know, like, um, if anyone's familiar with Chris Fix on YouTube, he has a, a, it's like a mid-90s Mustang GT that he goes and drifts with, and... Uh, yeah, so I totally agree. Like the uh, like a twenty plus year old Mustang would be amazing for drifting. You're you're before all the electronic nannies that would get in your way, but still enough power and engineering in them that you could do that without having the car totally fall apart on you.
1: Well, and the other thing I was thinking is if you're gonna go out there and you're gonna drift your pants off, you're probably gonna wreck your car. You want something that isn't this gem of a car that you're worried about wrecking. Mm. I would never have, have have drifted my FD, and I mean, I'm oh, sorry, I might have, but I would always be paranoid of wrecking it. Yeah. Whereas so only a Fox in the Mustang middle thing, of a
0: parking lot with nothing around it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which has never happened, and is a great story that will never be told. Um, <laughs> but like a Fox Body Mustang, if I clipped a wall. I would think that was the coolest thing in the world and my car would be just wrecked and but it would be awesome and I wouldn't feel bad about it. That's why I think it would be a good a good affordable drift car for that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what was on your list now. What was it? It was something that I thought was good but <laughs> way out of my price range.
0: Well, so uh, okay, I before I say mine, I want to have an aside here. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about drifting and we legitimately were saying that you don't get into drifting if you don't expect to, or if you expect to not wreck your car. Like it's basically a rite of passage almost for drifting. If you get into it, you're going to hit the wall. You're going to, you know, curb your wheel. You're going to, you know, just destroy your car at least once. And then it's a learning opportunity and you hopefully won't do it again. But, you know, um, I know people from like Dodo Logic that are around here. I don't, know if that club still exists but when they were big into drifting years ago they you you constantly saw the cars with like bumpers hanging off and that kind of stuff
1: so what you're saying is you can't have a drift car and a show car at the same time unless you have a lot of money to just keep pumping into it yes exactly (laughs) um
0: so for my pick for drifting i actually went with something that you know i this is also very fast and furious inspired but Um, I went with a 370Z or a 350Z, depending on what you want to classify as affordable. Um, but, you know, like, I, I love the 350Z and the, the movie Tokyo Drift just sealed that for me in the scene where, I believe it was Tanner Faust that was driving at the time in terms of, like, the professional driver doing the actual driving for the movie. It drifted all the way up that, um... Car park, like the the round, you
1: know, the, ramp the ramp on the, the ramp, to the next level.
0: all the way up to the top level. Like I don't know that that scene just sealed it for me that that was a drift car. But it could be a, like an amazing all-rounder almost like anyways,
1: but especially for drifting. And you know what I I like that choice a lot. And you know I never even considered that when you were talking. Before about oh a three fifty or a three seventy whatever, like I don't know why I just honestly jumped to Fast and the Furious movies because that was one of my favorite ones even though it's most people's least favorite one, but that's true actually when you mention that, that is an iconic scene that sort of established that car, Mm -hmm. and it was I remember it was the redesign right after because the three hundred had been gone for years. And one of the big things was it was the new generation of Z car that was coming out in this movie and everyone was hyped up about it and they threw two of them in and only one really did anything. But it really established that car in the car world. And mm-hmm. I don't I think I don't think people give it enough credit. I think you're right. It's a great car. It's got a great power plant, it's reliable I mean it has its own race series. The the three fifty Z has its own spec series, kinda mm-hmm. like the Miata. It's a good yeah. car. It's a really good car. Uh, again, back to the affordable price range. Like, I don't know how much a 350Z would go for today. You know, you can get a decent one for like 10 grand. And, and that's fine. Like, here's the thing. People aren't going into motorsports because it's a cheap hobby. No. I think that should be stated. Um, if you want to go cheap, you're probably not going to be the guy driving to and from the track every single time. You're probably going to be the guy who has a CAA card and uses it a lot. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that was drag racing and drifting, but what about autocrossing? You're a really experienced autocrosser, so you've seen so many different cars um, participate. So I think um, I'm going to get you to go second, so I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, But my opinion on this one is I would go with an STI. Um, One, because it's got pretty good power, um, and also it's well balanced from its rally development or at least that's my vision of it uh, <laughs> and, um, and and the four-wheel drive or the all-wheel drive I mean it's um, that's sort of where I'm coming from on on this one because it's you need good power good handling and um, ability to get out of the corners
1: with good traction you know I love that choice. I didn't choose it, but I love that choice. Um, and you know what? The STI is probably one of my favorite cars for that, and I've been beaten by STIs and Evos a lot of times because of those facts. Like, they're mm-hmm. thoroughbred race cars. That's when you went, mm, we need to make how many street models? Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And um, again, if it wasn't my definition of affordable, I probably would have picked that. Um, so I didn't actually pick one car for this. This is going to be kind of a weird one, so you got to hear me out on this. I ended up picking any Honda car. So hear me out. You could go and you can take a Civic or an Accord or probably even a Prelude, because, I mean, it's basically a two-door Accord, a CRX, um, a Del Sol, maybe not a CRZ. Sorry, CRZ fans. They're not great. And you could take it out to an autocross event and have fun and carry all your stuff and drive there and drive back. And you have a great aftermarket support if you ever want to get more and more competitive. And it's reliable. That's the biggest thing I find with autocross is you can go out there in a crazy high horsepower car. And you might not do the best because you can't stretch your legs the most. But you start to lose your reliability the more turbos, superchargers, whatever you throw on it. And you don't really need it. Now... You had a really good point with that all-wheel drive. All-wheel drive is great. That's going to help you out tons. But I think having that... Autocross, I feel, is so much driver experience that a Honda car of some sort would be what you need to get into autocross to get that driving experience. And then when you're ready to move on to something else, sure, go for it. Go spend something that people consider affordable of $10,000 or more and move (laughs) on. But... I think to get into autocross, and you can still be competitive. Like, I'm. I think you. When you brought your Civic on, I don't remember you being even in the bottom half of the pack, and you had a relatively stock Civic with. Not to say you had no track experience, but you didn't have a ton. I had lots of track experience on video games, <laughs> but I, well, I, know- I
0: had never participated in person on a. in a. Uh, one where you're actually in person, a in car. Part. Like, I, I, I'd I been go-karting and stuff, but that's it. But yeah, like, I think I kind of came in the middle. But it was, um, yeah, you're right. It was, it comes down to driver experience, but that's that's pretty much any series. You know, you could say the same thing about drag racing. It's all about being able to know how to um, launch correctly or drifting. It's, you know, how to control the car properly. It's, it you know, it's each series, each types of racing has its own requirement of um you know specialty skills experience and, and yeah those skill development
1: what well, i'm not saying that the other two don't i'm saying they do i just feel like autocross is kind of that and maybe this is just my personal experience coming through that you can practice more so there's not really a like gran turismo has paved the way for track days and like you said you went and played video games I don't know if Forza was around back in the day, so I'm guessing this is probably some GT1, GT2. Yeah, Gran Turismo 2 is sort of the one that got me started. For anyone who was born after 2000, that's the one that looks like it has a Vaseline smeared lens uh, that you're trying (laughs) to look through while you're playing the game. Um, And every engine sounds the exact same regardless of where you rev it. Yeah, but Uh, at the time,
0: it was incredible graphics and, you know... Next level and physics, yeah.
1: Like anyway, but <laughs> no, sorry, yeah, off track here. But um, I think that helped you, and then you literally just took out a Civic with like okay tires and okay suspension and did well, and you were competitive. Yeah. And I think that's a great affordable way to get into it. Everything mm-hmm. you added on top of your Civic, like you did so, you did Type R headlights, I believe, and you did a spoiler and some other little things here and there, and that was cool, and you could spend that money, and it didn't hurt you at all. I don't know. I'm going on a rant here. Now, should just remember, my Civic
0: was only a few years old, and it cost me $18,000. So, it, it that was actually more expensive than the 350Z that you called expensive last one. month. So, um, now, that was back in the day, but yes, I, I had spent
1: $18,000 on that Civic. Well, I mean, they were brand new at a time too, so I'm not. Oh, afraid. for sure, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um.
0: Okay, so yeah, so you picked Honda, basically anything, and I, I also totally agree with that. It was that is an incredibly good way to get into other crossing, from my own personal experience and your own personal experience with taking your Fit out there, um, and your Civics and things like that, that you had, um. You know, and I saw the few times I went out, it was... You saw people with, um, you know, high horsepower, f- Firebirds or Transams or whatever, and they would just try to put the power down, and they would just smoke their tires or spin out or whatever. Like, they just couldn't put the power down. There was too much power for autocrossing. Um, and then there was uh, the one guy that had his Formula 2000 car or something like that that he brought out, and... I was only there one time when he brought it out, but he came out and on his first or second run, I can't remember what, but the car broke. You know, it was like, that's the thing about having a really expensive track purpose, you know, purpose built track car. If you don't use them and maintain them and spend a ton of money on them, they just break all the time.
1: We're thinking of the same car that kind of looked like a little mini F1 car. and It was yeah. it was like a dark gunmetal in black, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Just so we're on the same page. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is I could say that that would be probably an affordable way to get into it because if you really want to be hardcore and intense and uh, mm-hmm. other words from the 90s, um, it's a great way to get into it because then you're definitely competitive, especially if you're running against a bunch of streetcars. But I don't know if that's what a lot of people want to get into when they dive in to a casual motorsport like that. I think, I think it's fair to say that a lot of these are casual. You don't have to go and build a drag car to go drag race. Some people take a cruise or a, a carbureted 1.1 liter rotary engine, and they just go. Well, yeah. But, you know, if you're
0: looking to get into actual competitive racing, that car that he had brought would be an affordable option you know if you're spending 50 grand on one of those versus you know half a million on you know something else you know like that look that is
1: very uh, affordable in comparison yeah that's the worst part The sky is definitely the limit (laughs) yeah i think it was you who sent me a picture of that purpose-built lamborghini race car and you said oh it's only a hundred thousand dollars
0: yeah, that, uh, it was like a a used Super Trofeo um, race car, and yeah, like compared to other things that I'd seen that are similar, you know, you I would expect that to be hundred hundred fifty thousand, um, but that's just for the car. Then you have to have the trailer and the spare parts and you know ability to run it and fix it. You know, so when you get into something like that, it gets. Very expensive. Right? Like oh, that's why people have sponsors.
1: And you know, I think that's almost why Honda appeals to me in that sense, mm-hmm. is you could just go and take that out. Not that your choice was bad. I think your choice was great. I mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm actually looking at these Formula F2000 Championship Series cars, and they're pretty cool. So no one's ever, if you haven't looked at them yet, look it up. Google it. They're really cool. Um, if I had the money, I'd definitely get into it. And if I meet the guy that thinks a Lamborghini. Track car is affordable. um, I might ask him to buy me one. (laughs) So, um, okay. So
0: we've talked about each of those three different types of racing independently. But what would you pick as your all like your car that you could take to each of those, um, and and you feel like you do well at each of those types? Yeah, you go first.
1: All right. So I was kind of torn on this before. Um, But I sort of solidified my choice earlier this afternoon. I think what I would go for um, is an E36 3 Series. Um, Maybe a little bit newer, because BMW does have its problems. Inline 6. Doesn't matter if it's 4-door, 2-door, whatever. Maybe just not the TIs, because those kind of look like Hyundai Accents, and that's just a personal choice. But you have a 3-liter engine if you go that big or like a large inline six engine and you could probably be decent at drag racing. You've got Mm -hmm. the front engine rear wheel drive layout for drift and you've got quality, a quality built BMW product that will handle half decently in an autocross. I feel it's kind of your full package deal regardless of what three series you buy, unless it's a 318 TI, no offense owners. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? That is a really good choice for that. Um,
0: Not where my head was going when I was thinking about my pick, but, yeah, like, BMW is really well-known for having well-balanced cars, and um, so I think that that would be a good choice. Um, Yeah, you know, I had originally uh, mentioned getting a a WRX as the the all round car, except you'd have to do the, like, the front-wheel drive delete, um, so it was just rear-wheel drive. Kind of half defeating the purpose of having having a WRX, but at the same time, the reason I picked that one um, was because you're still getting almost the performance of an STI, but a way lower price tag. Um, so, and I don't know, I just feel like it would be good good at each of them, but maybe not great. And um,
1: yeah, that was kind of where my head was at. Well, and see, and I like that idea. When I read that before, I was kind of like, he realizes that they only came in an all wheel drive. But when mm-hmm. I you mentioned that you'd have to do the disabling the front wheel drive, it makes more sense. And I kind of assumed as much, but I was very curious to hear what you had to say. I just feel like that wouldn't be a task I'd want to take on just to fit in the drifting category.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think, it w- like, I mean, the all wheel drive would be great for launching and drag. And, like we talked about before, it would be. Super awesome for autocross, but why would you not go for the STI? Like, what's holding you back from that as an all-in-one car? Because if you're already putting that extra work in,
0: yeah, like to make it me, just rear-wheel drive, the it, it gets almost to the point where it's um, it's at the top end of what I would consider affordable. Um, so I wouldn't want to take one of those cars and then rip out half of the point of the car, you know, the 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 all-wheel drive. So, whereas a WRX, it's, like I said, it's almost the same amount of performance, but they're quite a bit cheaper, and so I feel okay with kind of mucking with it. And, and doing that front-wheel drive delete is, is pretty um, well-documented, so like you should be able to do it, and, and hopefully be able to put it back with not too much effort, but you know, it, not something you could do on the side of the road or
1: anything. You know, that's I, I remember now. I think it was Odd Man Out had a bunch of Subaru drift cars, mm-hmm. and you know, now that you mentioned that, it's well documented. I'm sure there's got to be people all over the world that have done this. You wouldn't be the first person. And I kind of was going into it thinking, oh, that's a big task to take on. But you know what? I'm sure there's a YouTube tutorial somewhere for
0: it. Yeah, there's YouTube tutorials about how to swap out every Honda motor in existence. So I'm sure there's a YouTube video about how to do that.
1: Score H22 in my Civic. <laughs> um,
0: all right. Well, I think that that we should wrap it up here. Um, you know, thanks for coming on the podcast again, and uh, just don't forget that uh, this podcast can be found on pretty much all the main uh, channels, such as iTunes, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Um, And you can also find this and more at at attheapex.ca. So Ryan, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And for everyone listening, we'll see you next time at the Apex.